Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle topics you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. This week we'll be talking about incontinence with Lucy Brett, the author of PMSL, or how I literally pissed myself laughing and survived the last taboo to tell the tale. And we'll also be joined by pelvic physio Tiffany Sequera, aka the Gyne Girl on Instagram. You can join in the conversation on social media by using the hashtag AIMYU. I first noticed a few years ago that I always needed to go to the toilet quite desperately before we left anywhere and it would make me feel really anxious if I didn't do what I call that final wee before leaving anywhere. And it came to a head really a couple of years ago when I had left to go for a job interview actually and I was rushing around a car park trying to to park and I couldn't get into the station to use the toilet because I couldn't park anywhere and I did wet myself and I was so ashamed and embarrassed although obviously nobody else knew and I had to cancel the job interview. Um, Since then it's only happened another couple of times and so I really really have to moderate my liquid intake. I know I can't go a couple of hours without finding somewhere to go to a toilet. Incontinence for me started at age 30 after giving birth to my fifth child. I didn't really worry too much about it at first because I genuinely thought that I'd be able to find a solution and work it out. I'm now 33, I use pads daily and urine incontinence is the bane of my life. It's embarrassing, I can't even laugh, I can't sneeze, I can't even jump without losing the contents of my bladder. Um, I'm a personal trainer as well, so I'm known, very much known for my can-do attitude, and I'm pretty much good at solving any issue that comes up, but incontinence is one I cannot overcome for the life of me. I have sought advice from all sorts of professionals, I've tried all different types of technology and devices, and it's absolutely gutting to accept that this is something that women should just get on with when it's so such a horrible issue. I wanted to start by taking a moment to reflect on those experiences that we just heard. Um, they may have shocked you as a listener, they may have felt familiar, but one thing's for sure, incontinence can have a really devastating impact on women's lives and I think we should kind of say that from the off. We know that it disproportionately impacts women as well. It's estimated that around one third of women experience it, a stat that kind of floored me when I heard it. I mean one third sounds like a hell of a lot but because of the shame around incontinence a lot of people think that it's even higher than that because women don't feel able to kind of go and seek medical help or talk to people about it. Yeah, you're right. The stats are really, really shocking. And I think 
as well within continents. It's like a lot of the topics that we've covered on this podcast. It's one of those women's health issues that come under the broad umbrella of things that we should just put up and shut up about Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of presented as just a normal part of aging or a normal part of childbirth and it shouldn't be a normal part of of aging or childbirth you know and I'm really keen to hear from our guest today about some of the preventative things you can do and some of the treatments that are available to change that also I know Lucy who's coming on the episode has a lot of thoughts about it being a feminist issue because it does disproportionately affect women and Mm. it's not spoken about I think because it's a women's issue and that needs to change you know definitely and even when it is spoken about it's often just kind of a bit of a joke you know like oops nana's wet herself again kind of vibe um which you know there is a place for humor obviously but we need to make sure that the conversation is going beyond that like whoopsie kind of thing if used in the right way humor is a really great kind of way to get people talking and to like open up a dialogue um elaine miller is a physio who has a stand-up show Gusset Grippers, which is a great name, which includes a sing-along, clench-along, which I really love. And also our guest who's going to be on the podcast later, Lucy Brett. Her book is all about incontinence, but it is not doom and gloom. It's full of jokes and swearing and just um, they're really kind of pushing the conversation on, which I think is really vital. And also like beyond that, there are lots of um, women kind of starting to talk about it a bit more. Celebrities such as Loose Women's Nadia Sawala and Towie's Fern McCann have spoken publicly about their incontinence. But in kind of day-to-day life, the fact remains that, you know, although it is making headlines, it still goes incredibly underdiagnosed and underreported. It's estimated that 75% of women with urinary incontinence feel unable to seek medical advice and treatment because of the social stigma. And it's just heartbreaking because it's it impacts your life so much in so many ways that we're going to kind of discuss. Also something to mention is even when women do find treatment, sometimes that treatment is not great. You know, historically, the treatment for incontinence has actually been quite appalling. Some of you listening may have heard about the vaginal mesh scandal, which is something that I've reported on for HuffPost since about 2017. And vaginal mesh used to be a really, really common treatment for urinary incontinence, particularly after childbirth. Thousands of women had this treatment. If you've not heard of it, the mesh is essentially a synthetic piece of material that women had surgery to implant and then it was used to reconnect weakened tissue and thousands and I really do mean thousands of women have now reported complications about this I've interviewed women who struggle to walk after this who've had to give up work there's one story that has always stuck with me about this woman whose mesh dislodged and she said it felt like razor blades inside her and it was so sharp yeah horrible and it was so sharp that she couldn't have sex with her husband because whenever they tried it literally would rip through condoms and to think that that was just the standard for so long is appalling I mean thankfully there's been a review about mesh now and it has been paused as a treatment across the UK but it just goes to show how important it is to talk about this stuff because my god like we definitely need better options absolutely 
And if it wasn't for people like our two guests that we've got on today, many, many more women will be suffering in silence. So I'm so pleased that we've got them on today. I think something else to flag is that this isn't just something that happens to women when they're elderly or after a traumatic childbirth. We really need to expand this conversation so that it's more inclusive, so that we're talking to young women, women of colour, women with disabilities, because currently those women aren't being included in the conversation and that needs to change. have suffered with stress and urge incontinence since the birth of my son 20 years ago. Um, it's just, it's been pretty horrendous actually, embarrassing, um, always having to think about if I'm out somewhere, I need to be near a toilet, I need to make sure I go to the toilet before I leave anywhere and even if I've not had a drink before I've left work or I've been out then I get myself really stressed thinking about I'm going to need to use the toilet on the train or whatever so it's, it's actually a really, really stressful and embarrassing time and there have been times when I have wet proper wet myself which is mortifying. Now we're joined by Lucy Brett whose book is an honest and heartfelt account of how she became incontinent at the age of 30 after the birth of her first son. It's the first memoir to look at incontinence, both smashing the stigma and helping people navigate their way through the wet knickered wilderness as Lucy puts it. Thanks so much for joining us, Lucy. No worries. Thanks for having me. Can you talk about the impact your incontinence had on your day-to-day life before you were diagnosed? Yeah, of course. So I was 30 when I had my first baby and um, I knew a little bit about pelvic floor magazines from reading like More magazine and um, the sort of things you talk about when you're a teenager and at the beginning of, of, of all that sort of sexual development stuff. But I... Um, I guess beyond stopping myself peeing while I sat on the loo, I hadn't really got much further with my pelvic floor exercises. And as I've gone through this journey and, and spoken to people about the book, I've discovered that there are many of us. It wasn't just me who hadn't paid enough attention. No one ever, ever really told me about it. For the first few weeks after I had him, I was thinking, OK, I think this is wrong, but it must be normal. It must be what mm. everyone else is doing. And I'd heard the stories and the jokes, you know, about older women wetting themselves, about grandmas not being able to control farting, about people um, sneezing or coughing and things. And I, I, I was sort of going around my life trying to get on with this baby, feeling a bit depressed and stressed. And I was thinking, it isn't just when I cough or sneeze. I mean, it was the middle of a heat wave, so I wasn't doing much coughing or sneezing. But I was um, walking around thinking, do they really mean that if I step walk up the stairs I should wet myself because that's what's happening and I looked things up it was funny I felt like I saw a lot of advice and heard a lot of things and they didn't feel like they were talking to me so the impact on my life was wetting myself a lot when I was standing up anything sort of stressful uh as in not stressful emotionally stressful as in uh putting stress on your body stressful so that's stress right. incontinence and I had that but also um about a week or two before I had to go back to the hospital to have everybody look at look at me um, and I had felt like I'd had quite a lot of that I was sort of been on display for sort of weeks and weeks after I had my baby um, I was talking to my husband about the birth and I was really upset and I started crying and I wet myself as well so I ended up standing in my kitchen in a puddle of wee thinking wow you know maybe 
the first hours or days after a vaginal delivery should just sort of we everywhere or who knows what's going on down there but this can't be right you know it's like a month or two after my son's born and I went to see the doctor so it wasn't my GP I because I'd had a difficult birth I was sent back to the hospital and I remember sitting in the room and she said like start again what makes you wet yourself and it was like everything makes me wet myself and also nothing so pushing my buggy up a curb getting dressed being tired being emotional climbing up the stairs you know they'd say uh, you know I was like people were talking about like lifting heavy weights and I was like well my baby's only like a few kilograms he's not that big and if lifting him is making me work myself this can't be right she like sort of lay me down and re-examined me and I could see in her face you know the last thing a doctor wants is a patient to like chuck in a curveball like an hour into this consultation but anyway so she examined me and she said oh all right okay you do have some damage you do have a prolapse and you need to go to see a physiotherapist and I thought well I only think physiotherapists are for if you've had a car crash you know what and then she said oh it's all right they have classes and I thought classes like I don't want to be picked for gym like what are we going to do in a class <laughs> like god so I sort of wondered without really knowing what was going on into the heart of this thing which all sounds very dreary doesn't doesn't sound that bad but I mean I can tell you it is pretty awful wetting yourself in the middle of a high street shop and to think how am I going to get home without seeing someone I know because I sort of want someone to give me a cuddle and I want no one to ever touch me again. I know there are a lot of practical implications for you as well things like just having to carry spare clothes and and stuff like that can you tell us anything about that that side of things? I think what I learned was the value and the cost of resilience and the need for pragmatism so I had to have spare outfits I mean once I went back to work um, because you know double income mortgages, life. I didn't really want to leave my baby still and go back to work incontinent, but I didn't really have a choice. And I used to have to wear a uniform because I had to be able to walk into a meeting and know that if I like started to leak, because I mean, leaking a bit of wee, you've got a few minutes, you can, it won't smell at first and it won't show if you're wearing black. And you know, if it does show, you can tip a cup of tea down you and pretend that you've made a mistake or whatever. But the way I was doing it was sort of kind of, really just me feeling and finding my way because there was nobody. I wanted someone to sit down next to me and say, like, I, I talked to my publisher and my ed- agent about this. Like, I, I, it's what I wanted the book to be like. I wanted it to be like somebody's big sister who you meet at a party and you're a bit, a bit pissed and, and um, emotional and you tell them a secret and they say, that happened to me and this is how I got over it. And that's what I wanted. I wanted someone who would do that and not be appalled if I said but oh my god like you know I've just had to throw away all my knickers it sounds so like emotionally and like mentally just draining having to kind of as you say like plan so much in advance and and recalibrate everything so that you can get through a day I wanted to ask you about the book why was it so um important to you to write that book was it there's a few there's a few things so one was um a sort of thing around silence so all those things I told you just now were true I think that many people listening will have done some of those things and maybe not even admitted to themselves that that's why they were doing them and nobody was having a proper conversation and the closest you got was people saying you know what this happened to me this continence thing happened to me and I thought it's more visceral and emotional than that it takes up your whole life and um after I had my first baby I had postnatal depression as well Um, And I felt very much like a failure for that having happened. And I went through some of the continent stuff. Then I had another baby. 
um, and I had worse continence uh, stuff. So and I had postnatal depression again and I'd in fact had antenatal depression because I was so terrified of what was going to happen. So all, all that happened and I took a whole parcel of blame with me. That, that's all quite upsetting. And then I found that um, it's a really strong indicator for postnatal depression. And nobody had said that to me, never once. So I walked around thinking that not only had my body been completely rubbish, which felt instantly like a massive swiss because I've got a really curvaceous figure. And it really felt like the reward I should have got for having big knockers and being a bit on the large side should have been that I should have been able to pop babies out like some sort of <laughs> feckin' goddess. And I was just like, what? Like, what? was all this for if it wasn't for that and then well, you know what I mean though like it really did feel like I can't tell you the sort of outrage that I carried around but also nobody told me I mean now I've said all that out loud to you like it's quite obvious like not postnatally depressed me why you would find that awful on top of having a baby who you love but never sleeps and all the rest of it but nobody said nobody said so depression is a common theme throughout the book. I know you dedicate a whole chapter to it. Why was it so important for you to do that? I felt weird about it. And I kept thinking, like, surely we should all be able to move on the conversation. I should be able to talk about it. We should be able to make it more positive. But before I wrote the book, it actually was quite hard to have those conversations. You know, even with my own GP, I said to her, surely everybody gets really depressed who you meet who is um, has has." bowel incontinence and she said nobody's ever spoken to me about that before and I said what nobody's ever spoken about the emotional impact and she said they can't and many 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 of them are getting no help even if they get as far as the doctor or the physio they're not necessarily going to answer the question because as I met this amazing physio and as she pointed out she said the thing with these problems is if somebody asks you do you poo yourself (laughs) what we all want to say even those of us who might do it occasionally, is no, not. Yes, and it affects my sex life too. And I'd really like to be in a research study on that. Nobody says that. So Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to do something to shake things up and and to tell a story that was actually quite an ordinary one. That's what I think. I I talk about all the, I call it gore whoring, but like the sort of, or somebody else the other day called it minge cringe. Like I, I do talk about the really visceral nasty details incidentally the book is also a book about love and endurance and it's funny but um I talk about those grim things because I don't know I suddenly realized I could and when my GP said that to me and I was like like nobody's talked about there's these like bottom tampons and adult nappies and no one talks about it you see an advert and someone's smiling saying oh look at my nice like sort of incontinent pads or pants and you think well They do do a really good job and they are undeniably a very useful item. They have saved many women's lives because they do fit really nicely and all the rest of it. But I don't think many people put them on and think, coming, looking good. I think what they think is, I really wish I could wear a normal pair of pants, actually. Just once, I'd really like to not get adult nappy rash because there is no information about how to sort that out for yourself. So you have to use pseudocreme and if you've got kids yourself or you remember pseudocreme like that does not go with black opaque tights in the winter like you can end up with a real mess down there and so you you know nobody's enjoying that part of it but if you can say something about it and that seems to help then I thought well maybe I should just say it then if it for some reason I can instantly 
I am still very embarrassed about it and upset, but I, I have realised that I, I can go that next step. So the, the other thing is, um, just finally on that, is that there was a really big study in Australia where they tried to work out the cost of society and it ran into billions. So I'll try and summarise it in like 15 seconds, but you've got the cost of lost working hours from people who were caring for people with incontinence. You've got increased numbers of women and men in hospital or in care who are incontinent. You've got the deadweight admin hours of trying to look after those people in care. You've got the extended hospital appointments and um, furtherance of other conditions like depression. You've got um, you've, you've got whole groups of people unable to work. You've got the financial impact to a society of marriages falling apart. So you, people, so the cost is billions because it's a real social issue. If you've got, yeah, I mean, the impact is astonishing and yet people can't talk about it. It really is astonishing. It's so far reaching, as you've said. One of the things you touched on is the, the care element the fact that it's incontinence is a really common reason for women to be put into care homes when they're older. We just wondered what you thought about that and how you felt after you heard that fact. I think, um, well, I think it's quite devastating, isn't it? And I think that um, incontinence is really common, but it's not normal. It's not a normal state of your body. It's not something women just have to put up with, like Donald Trump and mansplaining like it is something that can be sorted out I've basically just spent the last like 10 minutes shaking my head I just kind of can't really get my head around like how huge this is and how devastating it is it's like so many people will feel like seen and and heard and and recognized through, through all the amazing work that you're doing but I just wondered like aren't you pissed off that you have to do it? You know, like, are you pissed off that you have to like tell your, you know, that, that you, that this, you've had to kind of be this person because it feels so unjust that this is the situation we find ourselves in. It's infuriating, but I am in a massively position, a privileged, privileged, massively privileged position. I'm lucky that my partner stayed with me. My partner coped with the sexual dysfunction. I got lots of help. I, for whatever reason, and I go into the book, I talk a lot about my, um, not my childhood exactly, but how I learned about my body and, and whether that impacted. Because people often say to me, like, did you always talk about stuff like this? And it's like, well, I was always a bit loud and rude and sweary. But um, no, like, I mean, I sound so impassioned about incontinence. And, and I am. But if I'm really honest, if you asked me when I was 18, like, you would like have a book published by Bloomsbury. You know, this wasn't the scenario I was thinking about especially this wasn't that this wasn't the plan but but if I can then I feel like I sh- I should and I am done with blaming women you can't just blame women or patients or you can't do that anymore and we do all the time if we don't blame them we still expect them to clean the mess up so you know I felt like I was sort of writing it to her to this like 30 year old me could she have done better probably maybe I could have given birth better maybe I could have got less upset about it tried not to get depressed but I I can't blame her like I can't blame any other woman or man who's fed up with being incontinent because it's rubbish I'm glad that you've written the book (laughs) we've got one final question that we put to all of our guests and that is what makes you uncomfortable 
there's now that is a good question um what makes me uncomfortable is social embarrassment so for example i watched the first few episodes of succession and i could barely watch the sort of tense lunch scene so anything toe curlingly embarrassing like that makes me very very uncomfortable thank you so much for joining us it's so so um great to have you on and just um hear about the book it's 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 brilliant thanks for having me it's really good I'm a 39-year-old mum of two. After I had my first child, I noticed that if I needed to sneeze, I'd have to stand stock still in the middle of the pavement and cross my legs together tightly to stop wetting myself, basically. And I can't go on the trampoline with my kids in the garden because after a couple of bounces, that's it, I need to go to the toilet. Um, It doesn't embarrass me that much simply because all of my friends who have had kids Uh, report experiencing the same thing so I know that it's not unusual I hadn't heard much about it before having kids I wish I'd known I guess and then perhaps I would have actually listened to the advice that every new mum is given to do their kegel exercises and to flex their pelvic floor it does prevent me from doing some stuff and I do worry about it I worry in, in the sort of sexual situation as well just because I know that my pelvic floor is weak and I never know when I'm going to need to go You just heard from Lucy Brett. You can buy her book, PMSL, or How I Literally Pissed Myself Laughing and Survived the Last Taboo to Tell the Tale, which is out now. Now we're joined by pelvic health physiotherapist Tiffany Sequera. Tiffany is also founder of the Instagram account Girl, which she uses to promote pelvic health to young women, and in particular women of colour. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad. We we know that when we invited you onto the podcast, the first thing you said was, that sounds amazing. And you also, we hear, said to our producer, Rachel Porter, that you're really passionate about incontinence and said, this subject is 100% me, which I thought was great. Oh, it <laughs> um, is. Can, can you tell us what makes you so passionate about this particular topic? Cool. So um, basically, I'm a pelvic health physio, so I work part in the NHS, part privately as well. And incontinence in particular is just something that is so common and people don't realise. And I think they estimate at least 10% of the population experience incontinence at some point in their life. And the thing is, nobody knows about it. We don't talk about it. It's very hush-hush. And actually, I want women, I want men talking about incontinence. I want them to realise that if we can get rid of those taboos, people are more likely to seek help. They're more likely to reduce the kind of stigma that comes along with it. So, yeah, I'm all here for it, really. We're really um, excited to pick your brains and get all of the incontinence information that we can. Can you tell us about some of the more common types of incontinence and why that happens? So kind of really briefly speaking, incontinence is almost an umbrella term. So someone is deemed incontinent if they cannot control when they pass urine or faeces, so wheel poo. And that can be whether a little teaspoon or dribble of wee right up to fully wetting your underwear and needing to change your clothes. Um, And the two kind of main types are urge incontinence. So 
that's that kind of feeling you know when you go shopping and you need to go for a wee but the toilets aren't there and you can kind of hold on a bit longer and um, people with urgent continence aren't able to do that when they get that feeling to go they go straight away they cannot hold their bladders or bowel and then the other one is stress incontinence so essentially what it is so anytime you're putting your pelvic floor your bladder your bowel through stress so coughing sneezing laughing running you're experiencing incontinence we know that women and vulva owners are disproportionately affected by incontinence can you tell us how common is it and what age group tends to be affected people always assume incontinence is kind of old ladies wearing kind of pads and nappies and bed bound kind of women when actually it literally is anyone we see honestly people from kind of my age i'm 24 right up to elderly women and men um can literally be anyone and even though we say five to ten percent i would say that it's a lot more actually and a lot of people are suffering in silence with incontinence is it right that there are a lot of kind of secondary illnesses or side effects that come with incontinence yes so um to begin with, so if you're an incontinence, um, you're having a lot of urine leakage. So that's kind of wet underwear, wet pads that women are wearing. And things like thrush, BV, bacteria loves a kind of warm, moist environment, which is essentially what you're doing. So um, that's perfect for things like that to start growing. And obviously then you get your symptoms of kind of your itching, the foul smells, which is something to be aware of. I guess kind of looking on the bigger picture, if you're incontinent, it comes with the taboo and stigma that surrounds it. Um, women sometimes are scared to exercise, so they put on weight, um, they're less likely to do their activities of daily living, so less likely to go on kind of long walks, go to the shops, um, have sexual intercourse. So on a greater picture, it can really affect people's lives in kind of really mul- a multitude of ways. So Yeah, wow. It's so it's so far reaching the impacts of it. You mentioned sex lives briefly there. Can you tell us a bit about how experiencing incontinence might ex- might affect someone's sex life? What's the kind of thing you hear from people that you work with? So quite often the ladies that I see, their biggest concern is leaking during intercourse. So whether that's kind of using toys, whether that's kind of penis and vagina type sex, Um, it varies their biggest concern is that I might be midway through intercourse and then suddenly I leak a load of urine Mm. and quite often it's more how will their partner experience that and what would their response be and often that's women's biggest concern. Um, What are some of the barriers that stop women and vulva owners come into your clinic do you think? I think it's the taboo really I think nobody wants to go to the doctors and you think nine times out of ten a lot of the doctors you see are male a lot of our gynecologists are male and nobody wants to go and say or oh, I'm leaking urine or I'm pooing my pants um because they feel like it's not common they think that it, they're the only one they think it's something they should be ashamed of and really do you know what you're not the only one it's nothing to be ashamed of and um, what we're trying to do is encourage early detection and early treatments and actually if we get on top of those taboos and reduce that stigma and you go to the doctors early and they refer onwards to us there's a lot we can do um I think the other thing is and I keep saying it but it's people think it's normal when it's something they just it happens to all of us as we get older and we need to put up with when really it's not normal and I think people think even after birth and pregnancy they think oh it's normal to have some leakage when it's not, we need to get on top of it and treat it. And companies, 
I mean, it's great that we have incontinence pads out in the public and there's adverts, but I think sometimes the branding can be a little bit skewed. And they, again, they make women think that, oh, it's normal, we just need to buy pads. When really, pads are great and they're great as symptom management, but it's not treating that yeah. root cause and that's what we need to do. Yeah. I love how inclusive your messaging is around this oh, and also how also how fresh it feels like Brooke mm. and I have had a look at your Instagram and it is great it's like illustrations it's very Thank accessible you. it's like it's it's fun and it looks cool but it's talking about gynecological health which is great can you tell us a bit about why you wanted to create it in the way that you have because I know you're particularly um, passionate about finding young viewers there's a lot of kind of Instagram a lot of info pages out there for women post-pregnancy, the elderly population about pelvic floor, but really we need to start from day one. It sh- I think it should be taught in PE lessons at school. Um, I went to an all-girls school and pelvic floor was never touched on. We, it never got mentioned. And it was only when I started doing physio, I started learning more about pelvic health. I realised like, wow, like there's so much that you're not taught. And I think Instagram is the perfect platform because Obviously, girls are on there posting their selfies, holiday pics. Um, why not learn about pelvic health while you're there? And I just want something that's accessible, that's fun, that's girly. Like even in like NHS diagrams or online, all the kind of pelvic floor health diagrams are so boring, aren't they? And they're all very bog standard. And I've, I've done such a push to kind of get girly kind of pictures, little pink backgrounds, everything. Because I want people to look at these pictures. I want them to read what I'm writing. And... I'm so passionate about it. So if we can encourage girls to kind of breed, have a listen, share, send it to their friends, have these discussions in their group chats, more for it, all go. And yeah, I'm so passionate about it. Something that I really liked of a recent post of yours is um, a point you make about black and brown people having pelvic floors too. And your a lot of your illustrations are kind of geared towards women of colour. Could you talk to us a bit about kind of why that's so important? Like where there's kind of you're kind of you know there's kind of a lack there isn't there mm. um I think I mean I'm a brown girl I've I'm trying to so even when I'm trying to do kind of like research booklets for patients explaining things honestly you go into google you search pelvic floor diagram they're all white skin and I think if we want to make pelvic health accessible we want everyone to take pride in their pelvic health we need to have diagrams of pelvic floors on black skin we need to have brown people on there and even things like I did a diagram recently with um somebody sat in the toilet and normally quite often you've got someone with kind of a flat tummy perky boobs and I wanted someone with a bit of a belly I mean I sit on the toilet and I've got rolls on my tummy my boobs hang like you want it to be accessible you want it to feel like people to think that's me this is what I look like um and I think it really looks like these kind of model bodies and kind of diagrams about pubes and stuff like that it's not relatable and if it's not relatable you're not going to read you're not going to listen and it's not going to work for our population is it so I'm so so passionate about kind of encouraging women of colour women of all bodies to really yeah look at their pelvic health and take pride in it as well I love that yeah absolutely we love the work you're doing in this area we just have one final question to ask you and it's something we ask all of our podcast guests and that is what makes you uncomfortable? 
do you know what it's going to be related to gyne a little bit but you know when you're getting a wax down below that awkward that awkward small talk you get with the lady <laughs> and you think do you know what I'm completely naked down below and I think of my patients as well and I think gosh this is probably what I do to them but I sort of talk about how's your family any plans for the weekends while they're about to cause you kind of 10 minutes of like complete pain um, <laughs> It's the most awkward small talk ever and I can't wait for it to be either. So that is what makes me uncomfortable. My God, hard relate. I love that. What a great answer. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. been experiencing incontinence since I was 15. It all started because I started on the contraceptive pill which then led to me having frequent and cyclical UTIs. So the incontinence is really embarrassing. Um, A lot of the time I will say no to going out to meals or going out for long drives or anywhere where I may end up needing to go to the toilet and having no um, option. So for me it's not just you know the odd little dribble in my knickers it is all of a sudden I literally will wet myself unless I go to the toilet and my most embarrassing moment was um, something similar where I literally ran off the shop floor when I was working in a retailer um, with the area manager walk because I was genuinely going to wee myself unless I left Um, so it's really frustrating but something I've had to live with for the last 22 years. That was Tiffany Sequera, and you can follow her at Gyne Girl on Instagram. I highly recommend it. It's a very fun account and very informative as well. Mm. She had some great pearls of wisdom there that didn't even feel like pearls of wisdom because they were so natural. I didn't feel mm. like I was, you know, hearing loads of health information or in, you know, really serious discussion because she just speaks about it in such a way that's accessible and inclusive and she's mm-hmm. like, you know, talks about your sex life and that's, I think, where this conversation needs to be at. I also kind of got from both of our guests something that made me a bit mad, actually. Um, not because, not mad at them. Um, something that just made me just feel like the injustice of it all is kind of like how easy so how solvable this is you know like Mm. having some physio could help so many people it obviously won't won't kind of be able to cure everything but how it could be so simple yeah and the fact that women go for so long without getting any help because of the stigma is mind-boggling but Mm -hmm. you know understandable when you hear both of them saying unless you are unless a medical professional asks you do you wet yourself and how much liquid do you Mm -hmm. release specifically? There's very few people that kind of have the confidence to bring that up themselves. So many of the topics that we talk about on this podcast are surrounded in shame and stigma. And it just makes me, I feel that like everyone's lives could be so much easier if, if we didn't kind of have so much shame around women's bodies. Yeah. In society. Completely. It is so powerful to hear a story like Lucy's because you very rarely hear someone lay it out that fully. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I'm i kind of frustrated that she has to do that, you know, yeah. that somebody has to be that one brave person to put a spotlight on an issue because it should just be 
a spotlight anyway you know it should be taught in medical school the it it should be forefront of people's minds i know mm-hmm. that there was um last year there was a campaign to get information about pelvic floor into packages when women have just given birth and you're like why is that not there as standard like all of these all of these things show that it's just ignored and it shouldn't be but i think our two guests are just two of the voices that are starting to change that and i'm so glad they are because it's super super important same people are just so what society is so obsessed with like women's bodies but only when they're being sexualized or objectified like when it comes to the actual working of women's bodies or what happens after you've had a baby or what happens when you get older no one gives a shit and it's just infuriating it is ah we hate it we, we, could talk, we could talk about it all day but <laughs> that is all we've got time for this week uh, you've been listening to am i making you uncomfortable please subscribe to our podcast and give us a lovely lovely review i'm rachel moss and you can find me at rachel moss underscore and i'm brogan driscoll and you can find me at brogan underscore driscoll this podcast is produced by rachel porter our sound engineer is harry kimonos and our editor is john johnston You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag A-I-M-Y-U. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.